0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, 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 welcome to our brand new course. This is called The World of Kabbalah. This is a six-session Jewish Learning Institute course, and I am super, hey, Lisa, good to see you. I am super excited to welcome you all to the series um, Baruch Hashem, everyone wants to know what Madonna has been studying all these years. Like, what is, what is the allure? Huh? Esther. Esther. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I went, I reverted to her old name. Right, what Esther has been studying. Like, what's, what is the secret behind Kabbalah? How do we make, um, you know, maybe create some angels and learn how to levitate? So, really, in this course, we're going to be exploring Kabbalah in what I believe. Is a very unique fashion. And I'm just propping open the door for the next person. So this is a unique, this is a unique form of mystical study. Um, which you will, which you will uh, discover as we go on, uh, as we go on. All right. Hey guys. <laughs> Hope you guys can hear and see. All right, so here's the deal. Next week, we'll have more seats out. We'll, we'll, we'll modify the setup as well, and we'll have all the books. Um, just make, Let's make sure that everybody has a copy of the text for tonight. To to, yes, absolutely. Mira, you're good? Okay, you guys are good. So I wanna begin with a story. The story goes that there is a, there is a young rabbi, who has just finished rabbi school? You guys know what rabbi school is, Yaakov? Thank you. You know what rabbi school is? Yes, that's where you learn how to become a rabbi. So he's fresh out of rabbi school. He's got that, that new rabbi smell. I'm kidding. That's not a thing. That's anyway. So he's right out of rabbinic school, and hey, oh, hey, great to see you. And listen to this. So. He's called upon to officiate his first funeral, and you know in rabbi school you get a little bit of uh, prep and primer. No, it's not paint; it's actually you know preparation about how to how to officiate a funeral, what to say, how to do it. Anyway, so he finds out. Turns out, um, hey, turns out this funeral is of a is of a gentleman who was kind of a bit of a drifter. He wasn't really settled, didn't have any friends, and he's told. You know, Jewish guy needs a Jewish ceremony, Jewish funeral, but don't expect a big crowd, maybe not even any crowd. So, and it's also in a brand new cemetery. Did he owe money to federation? He well, they, <laughs> they came. No, then they would right, then they would find it. No, so anyway, he's so this is what he gets, and it's a brand new cemetery. He has trouble finding the cemetery, and he arrives a few minutes late, and as he arrives, he already sees. That, well, there's no crowd there, but he sees the cemetery workers already kind of shoveling dirt. So, he says, guys, please stop, and he delivers the eulogy, and he says some prayers, he says some psalms, the kemali rachamim, he, he belts out all of the stuff that he learned in rabbi school about how to officiate a wedding, uh, not a wedding, sorry, a funeral, and <laughs> Freudian slip, and, um, and what happens, so what happens is, oh, and he gives such a moving speech, because you know, this is his first one out of the gate. He's ready to go. His first eulogy and everybody, all the workers there are, are crying. It's like very emotional. And he finishes and, and one of the workers says, you know, Rabbi, that was incredible. I've, I've, I've been laying septic for years and I've never heard such a moving talk. I'm not going to explain the joke, but I'm just going to say, I'm just as a new cemetery. Should I explain it? It wasn't actually the... Here's the point. Here's the point. The point is that sometimes to know what's really going on, you have to dig a little bit deeper. Kabbalah. All right. I know it's a stretch. Oh, hey, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to get booed. What is this? I thought this was a friendly audience. Okay. Um, Did you hear about the Kabbalist who was visited by Elijah the prophet? You guys know this one? I'll tell it to you. So Elijah the prophet, I've noticed, you know Elijah, Elio Anavi? He comes around whenever there's wine. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> Did you? Uh, so one second. Think about it. When does he come around traditionally? Brace? I am right. You're given, even the baby gets a little bit of wine over there. And you he, got Passover. Hello. Right? Just break out. Okay. So anyway, that, that's uh, who, who am I? I'm not judging. So anyway, so um, Elijah the prophet comes to this Kabbalist, his teacher, and he says to him, uh, you know, you've been from above, you've been granted a wish, and not like the genie in the bottle, you get three. No, this is you get one wish, and it's multiple choice. You can either choose to become as wise as Solomon or as wealthy as Musk, Elon Musk. <laughs> I'm modernizing this story, right? I hope you appreciate the effort that I put into these things. Anyway, so. So the guy says, uh, so the rabbi, the Kabbalist, thinks he thinks he thinks he says, I'll take the wisdom. Anyway, a little later on, his students ask him, so now that you've gained this wisdom, so what, 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 what epiphanies do you have? What, he says, this is what I've learned. I should have taken the money. Um, <laughs> I thought there would be a better reaction. Okay, um, here we go. So <laughs> this course is called The World of Kabbalah. By raise of hands, who has studied Kabbalah before? Okay, we have some Kabbalists. Very good. Um, For those that have not studied Kabbalah before, you're in good hands. For those that have studied Kabbalah before, you're also in good hands. You like how I did that. Basically, this course is going to be um, a very unique look at Kabbalah, at Jewish mysticism. And one of the reasons for this is, you know, I liken... Okay, let me just uh, segue for a second into my my own thoughts for just a quick moment. I I always get asked, always, I often get asked, um, you know, I'm looking to study Kabbalah, where should I start? And maybe some of you have asked me that question. My typical answer is, wherever. Like, wherever there's a class, an opening, just jump in. It's not, Kabbalah is not necessarily a linear study where you need, like, level one, then level two, then level three. It's Kabbalah, it's like a bit of a holistic, it's... You know, it's it's an organic study. You just jump in and study. It's kind of like quantum physics. There's no beginning. There's no middle. There's no end. You just jump in. And although that's true, this course does something very unique. This course is going to take Kabbalah's explanation of the architecture of existence, the architecture of reality, and in a beautiful, dazzling display, lay it out for us to study and connect with. So what I'm trying to say is that although typically Kabbalah, when you study Kabbalah, you get pieces of information, which is all, all interesting and fascinating and inspiring, this course seeks to create a, not even create, to present Kabbalah and some of the deepest ideas of Kabbalah in a very organized step-by-step fashion, where, when taking all six lessons, you will see, you will get the greater, the larger picture of, of creation, of existence, of divine energy, and in every session, we're not only speaking about the divine element um, on a macrocosmic level, but also on a human, the divine element on a human microcosmic level. So let me just explain that for a second. Kabbalah speaks of, really, two different, Spaces, the macro and the micro. for those that know Hebrew, the Olam Gadol, which is translated as, help me out here the macro, the large world, the world that like the, the, the world, the universe, and also Olam katan. Olam katan is the small world, the little world, the microcosm, right? That would be us. So Kabbalah speaks about the energies in the larger universe as well as the energies within us, and as we'll see in every lesson, these two realities are parallel to each other. So, without giving too much away, for those that have a book, you have this chart. For those that don't have a book, I printed out some charts that I failed to mention when you guys were picking up your copies. But, let's send these down. I don't think I have enough for everybody. So, if you don't mind, I know you have a book, so just pass it down, please. Pass down some copies. Oof, and I've, I've very quickly run out of copies. All right. There you go, take and pass and share. Sharing is caring. Here's the deal. If you're sitting next to someone that does not have a map, please um, hold it in a way that they also can benefit from this. (laughs) I'm referring to the part of the map that looks like this. By the way, this is one of these um, maps that you can't understand unless you have a guide. That's where I come in. That's literally where I come in. You guys don't have, okay. Thank you, Oded. Oded. All right, so the map part, Folks, the map part is the one that has those circles. You guys see it? All right, on the left side of the map is the way the energies in the architecture of existence, the architecture of creation, the way the energies exist in the macro. On the right side is the way the energies are paralleled in the microcosm. What's cool about this, what I believe is cool about this, is that each lesson will address one area of this larger picture, And with the map, you can see exactly which area of focus we are focusing on each week. And we're starting from the bottom up. We're starting from the bottom up. Lesson one is at the bottom, lesson two is above it, three, four, five, and six. And the idea is that we most closely relate to where we are. We're at the bottom of this this continuum, and thus we begin from us and scale upwards. Okay, I know I've thrown a... The camera is moved and we don't see you. Got it. Okay, thank you. There we go. Hey, Mom. <laughs> that was my mother. <laughs> Thanks. I'm to tell you that. Yes, you are not only allowed, but thank you for telling me that. Um, this camera, thank you. This camera does follow me. All I have to go is like this. And then it does not follow me. Oh, look at that. Try it again. There we go, right? We could just do this all, all, all evening, right? Isn't that amazing? Look at that, and, until it stops working and then it's pointed all the way over there. Back, back to the story. I know I'm throwing a lot of information at you but I just wanna kinda of summarize so far. So we started off with two bad jokes, I'm kidding. We started off by saying how in Kabbalah there are many ways to enter into the conversation. We are going to explore over six weeks the larger picture of divine energy throughout the universe and the way the energy also is manifest in our soul space in our, um, in, in our individual world as a, as a microcosm the objective of this course is to achieve a clear understanding of the energies the spiritual energies that support existence and learn how they are paralleled in our life and in our experience this Class. This course is going to unfold over six lessons, as you know. Lesson one, the title is The Evolution of Ego. Lesson two, The Dawn of Limitation. Lesson three, The Infinite Light. Lesson four, The World of Chaos. Lesson five, The Great Concealment. And Lesson six, The Essence of Everything. So, this course is filled with teachings of Kabbalah. Don't be overwhelmed. Uh, the goal here is to explain everything in a very clear, methodical fashion. If you have any questions as we go along, please, please, hey, good to see you. Please jump in and ask, and I'm, I'm happy to answer. The goal is a clear and uh, a very clear understanding of these concepts. All right, so I want to begin with a question. And the question is, first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word Kabbalah, what is the first thing that comes to mind go? Mysticism, good. Spiritual. Spiritual, good. What else? Complicated. Complicated. All right, good. Receive, Receive. good. Svirot, excellent. What else? Hollywood, red bracelet. Hollywood, good. What? What? Sorry. What was that? Oh, red bracelet. Red, red string, right? Good, good. Hollywood, excellent. What else? First thing that comes to mind, Kabbalah. Boom. Forty years old. Ah, oh. Tzvat. Tzvat. What else? Kabbalah. What? Wisdom. Good. The, the Ari. The Ari, Arizal. Good. Unless you were speaking about me. Kidding. Um. The why. The why. Explaining the why of things. Good. I thought you were saying we should do this class at the Y. They have more space. I'm kidding. That too. Okay, good. Good. Good ideas. Um, I want to share with you the following. I think for many of us, Kabbalah evokes a sense of mystery and esotericism. I think that's the right way to say it. I think for many of us, Kabbalah is mystical. But to that point, I want to share with you a story. The story takes place with a rabbi and another rabbi. This rabbi. What are the odds that rabbis are telling rabbi stories? Hey, <laughs> doctors tell doctor stories. So there was once a rabbi who met another rabbi. They were both headed to the same spiritual master. And this first rabbi senses that the second rabbi has a little bit of arrogance and hubris. And he figures he wants to kind of humble him just a little bit, as one does. So he says to him the following, I was studying a mystical text, a Kabbalistic text, And I came across a passage, and I don't know the answer. Perhaps you know the answer. He said, sure, fire away. He says, this is the quote. He says, in the beginning, it was scattered and dispersed. Then it was attached together in circular form. Then the circle stretched into lines in different directions until it assumed a triangular shape with a point in the center. Finally, through combining the elements of fire and water, it was completed, and it was very good. Do you, un- do you understand what this paragraph is, passage, is referring to? The one rabbi asked the other rabbi, who was a little bit arrogant. And the other rabbi says, no, but we're going to the spiritual master. I'll ask the question. So he asked the question, and immediately afterwards, the spiritual master begins laughing. He says, you're talking about kreplach? <laughs> kreplach is the punchline. This is a real story, by the way, that happened with a chasse named Shmuel Munkus, who basically pranked the other guy because he needed to be pranked a little bit and brought down. Kreplach, yeah, you take dough, flour is separate, you mix it together, you make dough in a circle, then you fold it to a triangle, and then between fire and water, cooking, then it's very good, right? That's, so what's the moral of the story? Not everything that sounds esoteric is actually Kabbalah. Are you with me on this? Not, I'll say it again, because I, I, mean, I don't mean to be esoteric. Not everything, that sounds esoteric and mystical, is actually holy. So that's an important message. Just because it's out there doesn't mean that it's Kabbalah, which leads us to the following question then. What is Kabbalah? And by the way, somebody mentioned that Kabbalah means received, or somebody mentioned received with regards to Kabbalah. And the truth is that's a very good definition of Kabbalah because Kabbalah literally means Received. It's wisdom that is received, spiritual wisdom that's been passed down, received by one generation, the next generation, the next generation, etc. But what exactly is Kabbalah? We know it's received wisdom, but what kind of wisdom? What is Kabbalah and what is at the core of Kabbalistic teachings? What are its central teachings? What are its central terms? What are the, what's the terminology? What are the ideas of Kabbalah? And how do they inspire and affect our everyday Lives, this, these are questions that we are going to answer in this session and throughout the sessions in this series. So what better place to look for the answer to the question of what is Kabbalah and what is it all about, than in the actual books of Kabbalah. So I, I'll ask you to open up your book or your booklets to page number four, okay? And uh, our online crew, so I sent out, so for those that are, <coughs> excuse me, taking the course online, and out of town, Um, I sent you guys books. Um, Hopefully they should arrive, if they haven't arrived in the next few days. Otherwise, I sent out the PDF earlier with the text. So turn to page four, and you see here a diagram that's in a mystical text. Now, do you guys see that text? Yes? Around the diagram? You notice how small those letters are? That's why Jews wear glasses (laughs) because the text is always so small. By the way, the font that's being used, font, is Rashi font. You ever hear that Rashi script? Not that Rashi actually wrote like that, but when they printed Rashi's commentary in the Chumash to differentiate between the biblical text and Rashi's commentary text, that's the font that they used, and it's become known as, that was the first time it was used, it's become known as Rashi font, but here it's being applied to a mystical text. But in the middle, I mean, it's great when you're studying dance mystical text to flip to the page with the pictures. It's like, oh, a little break in the action. We got a, we got a visual here. That's great. Anybody know what that depiction is? Spherot, yeah. Tree of Life, Spherot, good. Now look at the next page, page number five. Okay, page number five also is a mystical text. Shefa Tal. And in that text, you also have an image, an illustration. Does anybody know what that is? Consent, concentric circles, right? Like a, tree. like a tree, true, right. We can tell how old Kabbalah is by looking, counting the rings in this bark. Um, so it's interesting that I think most of us or many of us are more familiar with the depiction in a figure 1.2 than the one of 1. 1.3. The one on page 4 is more common than the one on page 5. But they both depict something very important. And to understand what, it, what these depictions depict, to understand what they are about and what they're displaying, I want to share with you the next big idea. And that is that of all the things that God created, of all of the things that God created, there's only one about which it says that it was created in the divine image. Which creation? Okay, fine, I'll give you harder questions then. Right, it says only by Adam, by Adam, does it say that God created Adam? It says, "Nasah." first God says, Nasa Adam, Kid Kittimusayinu, let us create man in our image and our form. And then it says that God created Adam, Adam, which, by the way, Adam initially was actually male and female together. Zachar, Nekeva, Barah. Male and female, he created them, and then they were, they were buzzsawed. Not literally, but they were separated. A um, little surgery. You know about the... Um, <laughs> the politician, the doctor, and the therapist who are arguing about which profession is the first one in the Bible? You guys know this one? Okay, all right, just, just saying where you guys are at. So anyway, so they're arguing, like, which is the first profession in the Bible? So the therapist says, well, clearly therapy, because, you know, Cain and Abel, they're fighting, God is counseling Cain and saying, why are you upset, why are you angry? He's trying to, like, or maybe after the sin of the tree of life, of, to, sorry, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, so there's a little marital discord. Adam is blaming Eve, Eve is blaming the serpent. They're all pointing fingers. They need a little bit of therapy. The surgeon says, are you kidding me? Surgery came first. Before all of that discord, Adam and Eve were fused together. Right? And they had to be split apart. So clearly, surgery was the first occupation of the Bible. Politician says, don't you remember in the beginning it says, before light it says there was chaos? Who do you think made the chaos? (laughs) (sighs) Uh, Listen, we're just trying material here. Uh, Back to the story. So So here we go. I also tried to make myself a challenge. Can I remember where we're up to? And I, I do. So here's where we're up to. Um, there's only one creature regarding which it says that God created this, in, this creation in God's image, and that, of course, is human being, mankind. So the question is, what does it mean that we're created in the divine image? Like, What does that actually mean? Does God have a torso? Does God have limbs? You know, when the Torah says that God's eyes are on the land of Israel... From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Does that mean that God has eyes and it's only through those eyes that God sees? Like, what does that mean? And by the way, apropos to my reference, may Hashem indeed protect Israel and her brothers and sisters, and let us say Amen. The question really is though, what does it mean that we're creating the divine image? So the mystics tell us that what it means is that our souls possess the same spiritual dynamics that God employs in the creation of the universe. So the same spiritual energies that God projects into creating the universe, God projects specifically into the soul of human beings, not into the souls of goldfish. There was a movie about a goldfish, right? Finding Nemo. What fish was Dory? Oh, is that a clownfish? Look, who's the clownfish now, right? Uh, Wait, but one second. What was, I said that. What's, who was Dory, what kind of fish was she? Because she was forgetting, right? She was very forgetful. A gefilta. yeah. By the way, gefilte, have you ever gone Gefilta fishing? First of all, it's very enjoyable because you can identify it with the carrot on its back. Also, it's very easy to fish because it's stuck in the jelly. You just take, you just take a jar and scoop it out. Just. Okay, we will get to Kabbalah, trust me. So so Kabbalah teaches that the meaning of the phrase God created uh, man or mankind, humankind, in God's image means that the energies that God employs in the process of creating the universe, those very same, which we'll explore, we're going to explore all this, those same energies God invests within specifically the human soul. That's the idea. And so we parallel God. Now, that leads to a remarkable conclusion, an incredible conclusion. But before we get to the conclusion, let's read a text that attests to this idea. This is from Tolat Yaakov, from Rabbi Meir Ibn Gabay, a Kabbalist, lived in the 14 and 1500s. Um, Jason, if you don't mind, uh, do you mind reading text number one? All right, awesome, thank you. Text number one, page number six, All right, follow along. Jason, take it away, please. Immortal is a mirror for the supernal reality. All that exists in the higher and lower realms is present in microcosmic form within the human. This is the deeper significance of the Torah statement that the human was created in the divine image. And this is why we say, from my flesh, I envision Thank you. So the first few sentences are what I told you, right? And obviously I'm getting it from these teachings. Kabbalah says that the human being mirrors the supernal reality. All that exists within the higher and lower realms exists within the human soul, and that and that's the meaning of us being created in the divine image. Great, but that last sentence is really phenomenal, and this is why we say mi bsari umi bsari eloka from my flesh. I envision or I perceive God. So what does that mean? So here's what it means. Here's what it means. What it means is, Eov, Job is saying, from my flesh, you know, from where I stand, I observe, I observe God. But the way the mystics understand it is so much deeper. The way the Kabbalists understand this is that Job, Eov is saying that by looking within myself, by analyzing my soul, my soul structure, the way my energy flows within my own reality, within my own life, when I understand that, I have a better understanding of God, a better understanding of the divine. Umib, sorry, from my own, by looking within, echze aloka, I behold, I can see, I envision God. It's an incredible idea, and it's incredibly daring, and it's broaching on projection, because it would be easy to look at all of this and say, yeah, this is just human beings projecting on God. But understand this. This is not us projecting upon God or creating a God in our image. This is understanding the verse in Genesis to mean that we are created in the divine image. And therefore, when trying, when seeking to understand the way things work above or the way God operates, one really effective way is by looking within. And so let's do that for a moment. We're going to do a bit of an exercise. We're going to look within the way we operate. And then from that, we'll glean, we'll gain understanding as to how God operates. So let's do this. And this is going to be a crowdsourced example. We're going to create together a product. What are we creating? I'm taking suggestions. Go. We're creating a product. Go. Huh? A hat. A hat. Good. What else? Perfume. Perfume. What else? A home, good. What else? I'm just taking a few ideas and then we're gonna vote. Car. Car, excellent. Hat, perfume, home, car. Alright, let's pause here for a moment. What do you guys want to do? Let's get the crowd vote. Say out loud which one you prefer. Just one, two, three, go. Car. I hear car. I hear I heard a car. Okay, now let's go. Let's make a car. Okay? So we're gonna create a car. And when when creating the car, we're gonna I mean, hopefully we're gonna create something unique and something new, something, let's just go bold, something the world has never seen before. Okay, the world has seen cars before, but not this car. Not this car, this car is gonna be absolutely unique. Great, so let me ask you a very basic question. This is an obvious question, obvious answer. Can we just snap our fingers and roll out a car? The answer is no. Where does a car, the process of creating a car, where does that begin? Let's, let's, let's. Begins in thought, okay imagination. Does it start before that? What do you guys think? Need. Okay. Interesting. A need. Good concept. Good, 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 good. I would say, tell me if you agree with me, that it would begin with the desire to make a car. Yeah. Would that be valid? I think it's valid. I mean, you could, you can You know, there might be find a few other spaces. But I think one way to to understand this is that if I'm making a car at the beginning of this, there would probably the first step of of this experience would be where at some point I said, oh, hey, I want to make a car, a desire to make a car before I have a vision of what the car looks like. I mean, why was I thinking of a vision of a car if I didn't want to make a car? Again, you could argue with that argument, but that's that would be an argument. Now, what drives desire? Right. If I need, okay, good, excellent, good. So necessity, huh? Needs, okay, good. Right. So I'm, I'm desire. I'm like I want to make a car. So what drives that want? It's a need, okay. But there's also an unspoken factor, and I want to just clarify what that is. Behind every desire is the notion of pleasure. So behind every desire is the notion of pleasure, i.e., this will be good, or this will feel good, or it will solve a problem which that solving a problem is good. Why do I want something? Because somewhere deep inside my subconscious, I believe that this equals good, and that's why I want it. If it equaled bad, I probably wouldn't want it, correct? Let's let's try this. So you're sitting at a Shabbat table. And it's your your house, you're the host, and you're serving dessert, and you've decided to go, you've decided to roll out some ice cream. Just old school, roll out some ice cream. And you have two options, vanilla and chocolate. And you ask the folks around the table, which would you prefer, the vanilla or the chocolate? Someone says, vanilla. Vanilla. And you say, why? Valid question or not valid question? <laughs> I mean, any question theoretically is valid. But imagine you ask the person, why do you want vanilla? So it goes on. what are they gonna answer? Because I like vanilla. And then you press further, you're like, why does it taste better? Can you answer that question? There's a Yiddish expression that says, if a cash is it, You can't ask a question on a desire. Some people like chocolate, some people like vanilla. You're gonna ask a question. <laughs> it's a question. Uh Atam How do you translate that in English? Taste and smell, you can't argue about You can't one argue. One. You can't argue about what tastes good, what smells good. It's it's uh, so we're back to perfume, it turns out. Right. So everyone has their preference. Everyone has their preference about what is good and what 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 right? or fashion, right? Like the hat. I guess we'll just try to work in everything right now, right? So, so, you can't really ask the question. You can ask, but you're not really going to get an answer. Because the real answer is, why does that person want vanilla? Because they like vanilla. Why do they like vanilla? That's what feels good to them. And feeling good is what drives desire. Pleasure is the unspoken engine of desire. Show me what a person wants, and you've revealed what they like. Does that make sense? Okay. So what drives the car? How awkward of a statement. What drives the, the building of this car? A desire to make a car. What drove that desire? Some sort of pleasure or benefit that the person believes they'll get by making maybe it's fame, maybe it's money. Maybe it's something to do all day. Whatever it is, some motivation of pleasure or benefit that's driving desire. What's the next step? So the person wants to make a car. What do we do next? Help me out. What, what do they do next? Guys, we've got to make a car. Time is running out. Huh? Design. You've got to get an idea. You've got to brainstorm ideas. What is this car going to look like? We've got to you know, come up with, with the ideas, the concept. The concept. What happens next? Huh? Prototype, right, you show it around, you gotta assess it, you gotta figure out, does it look good? And, and then once that process starts, you, and, and you have these sketches, you have these ideas, 3D modeling, 3D renderings, you have prototypes, et cetera, you take it to, then you have to check back in and ask yourself, you know, is this, is what I'm looking at, does that feel right, am I excited about this, or have I somehow, again, just sticking with the theme here, made a left turn somewhere, right? Have I gone the wrong direction? Right? Have I gone the wrong way in this in this pursuit of creating this car? So there's the idea of the, so there's the desire for the car that comes from the pleasure of making this car, whatever that entails. Then there's the desire to make the car, the idea of what this car should look like, checking it emotionally to make sure that this is indeed what I want to do, or 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 it, it, um, do I do I feel that this is you know this is the car that I want to make. And then, of course, it filters into further deliberation and thought and then collaboration with others, which involves speech, and then producing the car, which is action. And what I've described to you in this rough model of this example is what you will find in this chart on the right side of the page within the human being. This is how Kabbalah maps the human experience. In other words, if you want to think about this this way, you can think in the context of Kabbalah of of creativity, or really Kabbalah of creation. How are things produced? How do makers make things? What is the process? Well, it's going to start, you see that yellow circle where it says pleasure? Yeah, it's kinda gonna start over there. Pleasure is on the top half, desire is on the lower half. I told you that pleasure drives desire. It's gonna start with pleasure, desire, then it's gonna flow into the intellect, flow down to the emotions, and then hit thought, speech, until it hits action. The point of this is, That just like Rome wasn't built in a day, so too that amazing vehicle that the world has never seen is also not just produced and created. There is a process, and the process is somewhat linear. It goes back and forth. It's not perfectly linear. It doesn't check all the boxes and then only flow one direction. It can flow the other way if you're in sync. I'm sorry for going boy bands on you. But anyway, the point is that it doesn't flow only in only one way, it also flows the other way. It might skip a level, but then go back. The point of all this is that this is the way human beings work. Umib Sari, Eloka. By looking at how we iterate, how we create, we can gain understanding because we're creating the divine image of how things work above. And thus, we have the following text. Um, this is text number two of a Moshe Alshech. Allison, up to reading. All right, text two, page number seven. God's action is a ladder planted on the earth whose top reaches into the heavens. This ladder's rungs serve as channels through which the flow of the body of energy can devolve degree after degree in a constant pattern of progressive coarsening until the flow can be received at the lowest extreme of existence. Thank you. This teaching from this mystical philosopher, the Alshach, is powerful. He says, he quotes the verse, famous verse that uh, is involved in Jacob's dream about the ladder, Jacob's ladder. Sulam, Mutzav, arza Verosh, magi Shemayimah. The ladder was planted on earth. The top reached the heaven. The idea, he says, is that there is a ladder, not a physical ladder, conceptual ladder that connects heaven and earth. The, The energy, spiritual energy, is stepped down level after after level after level until it reaches our reality. Just to explain this for a moment, really what Kabbalah is doing here with these types of texts is addressing a very simple question. How is physical existence produced from spiritual energy? How do you go from spiritual energy to physical matter? How does that work? And Kabbalah tr- fills in the gaps and says, It's a process. There's a a system here. And the system is called, this is our first key term also on page seven. Take a look at the reference in your books. Uh, There are 46 key terms that we're going to learn throughout the course. Here's the first one. Key term number one is Seder Hishchal Shalot. Seder Hishchal Shalot means, uh, here it's called the system of devolution. You can also call it the chain. shalot in Hebrew means chain, it means the order of the chain. What does that mean? It means a step-by-step process by which something unfolds. And what we're referring to here in the context of unfolding is how life unfolds, how this reality unfolds. How does this life unfold from the spiritual source? Step by step by step. This is the key to understanding the left side of this diagram, this left side of this diagram, of this, of this map, right, the part that talks about order of devolution, say this is, right here, tracing from the source all the way down to our reality and the various steps that Kabbalah teaches happen on the way between God and us. You see, when we learned about creation as children, we probably thought it was God and then poof, and then us. And Kabbalah says, well, you know, there's other we left some, some details out, right? Not all the details are perfectly spelled out in the biblical text. We have all of these dimensions, worlds, chambers, olamot, uh, um, uh, all of these dimensions in between the source and us and the way it works, the way creation works is a process step-by-step, step. just like if you and I were to create a car or start a company or build a home or build a relationship. It would happen in an orderly fashion. It would happen step after step after step. That is the way the universe is created. With all of this in mind, we now have the answer to a few questions. Number one, what is the purpose of Kabbalah? One of the major objectives of Kabbalah is to explain how we got here. How did we, physical, self-aware human beings arrive in this reality, in this space, from an infinite, pure, perfect God that is all about spiritual energy, all ethereal spiritual energy? How do we emerge from from that, from God? How does that happen? So that is a major objective of Kabbalah to trace this process of creation. This This also explains the diagrams that we saw before. Figure 1.2 and 1.3, page 4 and 5. Well, page 4 is, again, part of this hierarchy, this system. This, these are the spheroth. That is how energy flows from above to below. This is not the entire span of the, uh, of, 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 of the process. This is a piece of the process, but that, nonetheless, is an important piece of the process. In, uh, the, the figure on page 5 is likewise the same thing. This author depicted the same process using concentric circles. The outer circle, the outermost circle being a reference to God, well, actually, beyond the circle is a reference to God. You see outside the circle, it has two letters? On the top of the circle, right? Sounds like a basketball game. Right, top of the circle, right? You have two letters. If you're familiar with the Hebrew characters, um, it's Aleph and Samach. You know what that stands for? Any Kabbalists amongst us that want to... Ain't Sof. Ain' sof means literally? The infinite. Without, without end. Without end. Good. Ain means without sof means end. Ain' sof means without end. Without end means infinite. You know what's infinite? <laughs> Who's infinite? God. God is outside the circle. The circle represents the stages by which God creates. You see, the circles are the same thing as the other circles, I guess. In that they are depicting somehow, some way visually, it's an attempt to, to depict on some level the process by which the energy flows from above to below. In the center of that circle is us. The center of the circle is Yesod Ha'afar, Earth. Afar, Earth. We're at the center. And everything else is a process down. So, my point thus far is that when thinking about the question, you know, what is Kabbalah? What does Kabbalah do? What are the teachings of Kabbalah intended to achieve? One important answer, not the only answer, but one important answer that covers a lot of Kabbalistic thought is that Kabbalah is describing how we got here. The process of creating physicality from spirituality. Make sense? Yes? Yes? Sort of, yeah. To me, now you having a sequential process seems far too simplistic. To me, those linkages have to vibrate, and one goes to four, and four goes to three, whatever order it needs, just like just like the atom, whatever. You don't have A to B to C to D. To me, that's that's too simplistic. Wait, which part is too simplistic?
1: Words, that there's
0: a process? No, okay, I mean there's, there's, it's linear. Oh, that's linear. Yeah. All right. We'll explore this. Okay. Oh, we'll explore it. I mean, that's the whole course. This, this is the whole course. And as I said in the opening, the, the, what we're doing in this, the way we're doing in this course is working backwards. We're starting with us, our reality, and then working our way backwards. By the way, the first person, the first person to split the atom, the first one to split the atom? Go. Boom. Okay, good. You said it this time. (laughs) All right. Yes. Can I ask a question? Sure. So uh, since we're on the uh, very, very, very outer extreme of some minor branch of the solar system, maybe the center is not actually the center, and if it is, are there other centers? Excellent question. Are we really the center? Is that just kind of like we're on the outside and God is the center? Um, But... My question is, uh, the if Kabbalah is receiving, to receive, and that's received wisdom, what is the difference between received wisdom or yeah, received wisdom and unreceived wisdom? Just regular wisdom. Good question. Which one should I address? Both. Okay. <laughs> Point number one we believe that we are the center of the universe. According to us. According to... How convenient. (laughs) According to us. (laughs) Yes. Could there be other spaces that God creates with another Torah, with another system? Who knows? But in this system, we're at the core. Our known system, as far as we can tell, this is where the intelligent life, this is where the purpose, this is where Torah is, this is where the mission is. That's point number one. Point number two, vis-a-vis... Received. The reason why Kabbalah specifically is called received, even though all of Torah is passed down from one generation, from one to the other, teacher to student, Moshe, Kibel, Torah, Misinai, Yeshua, um, that's how Pirkei begins. Moses received the Torah, Tzaneh, and, and that's referring to all of Torah. So why is Kabbalah Kabbalah? Why is not all of Torah Kabbalah? It's a good question. The simple answer is because Kabbalah, due to its esoteric state, Kabbalah there's a, um, it's a little bit more necessary that the code be preserved and that freestyling not apply to this area. So whereas in other areas of Torah, there's a little, it's a little bit more open to interpretation. With Kabbalah, it's very important that we stick to the original authentic teachings. Otherwise, we may generate false notions about God. Now you're touching on issues of faith, which is a very big deal. So if, if you have a machlok, if you have a dispute about the ruling, if one cow gores another cow and the cow dies, and then turns out it was, pre- like all that's, that's, you know, that, that's one debate. But if we have kind of a free-for-all about matters of theology, then we're splitting the religion. That's going to be a problem. So it's more, imp- it's, the stakes are higher when it comes to Kabbalah to make sure that it's, we're only transmitting what we received, i.e. authentically, and not throwing in our own you know, new ideas into the mix. Now, getting back to this idea. So Kabbalah describes in, in, in a very elaborate way the process by which the universe is created, how we go from spirit to matter. And what we're going to do today is explore the end of this process. Next week, we'll go one step above that. Um, but first, before we do that, one word of caution. You can see this in text number three. Um, I'm gonna. We don't have to read that inside. I'm gonna paraphrase that. Basically, the um, <coughs> the word of caution is that Kabbalah will speak about um, dimensions as higher or lower. Just know that that doesn't. We're not referring to this in a physical or spatial way. It's not like one world is physically higher than the other world, like planets. You know, on a, um, when kids make the planets, what is that called? Diorama? Uh, Solarium? Solarium? Something. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So it's not like one world at is higher than Bria physically. These are not physical or spatial concepts. These are spiritual concepts. And this is very important because there's a limitation that you and I have, and that is we only know the language that we know. And if we were to speak a completely entirely different language, that was a mystical language or that was a spiritual language, then we would not, well, that would be very arbitrary. Like what would we, what would we be saying? And no one would understand us, so there's no point. So we end up using our language, uh, our limited physical spatial language to refer to uh, spiritual concepts that don't have those same physical limitations. And yet it's the best we can do, on the other hand, don't take all the physical stuff literally. So for example, in a company, if you were to say that this person, the CEO is higher in the company than everyone else, you know, on an org chart or whatever it is, you'd say that this person is a higher up. You don't mean physically that this person stands on top of the other guy, right? You understand it. And more conceptually, it's the same thing when we speak about spiritual concepts. Higher and lower is a concept. It's not physical space. Um, One other point of note is this is one of the reasons why Kabbalah traditionally (coughs) was not studied until one was 40. You guys heard of this? No? So many people have heard this. Oh, you don't study Kabbalah until you're 40. Where did that come from? Well, it came from a time when the only Kabbalah that was out there was the Kabbalah that was very esoteric and could very well be misunderstood. And so... The idea was that let's wait till someone's 40 and has a bit of a mature, settled mind and is secure in their faith and theology and then we can introduce them to the teachings of Kabbalah and that and they'll be able to understand the context of, of what it's saying or what it really means and not get confused by the terminology. But... Already in the last few hundred years, uh, three, four hundred years, the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, Yitzchak Gloria said, mitzvah l'galit zotachachma, it's a mitzvah to reveal this, this knowledge. The Kabbalah that we study, the Kabbalah that's taught nowadays, is Kabbalah that is already worked in a way that everyone can understand it and everyone can, uh, can uh, appreciate. So, don't worry, if you're not 40, you're good. Okay, back to the, back to the story. What we're going to do today is focus on the three um, lowest worlds, and once again, I, I know we're referencing this a lot, but that's that's the way we're rolling. Um, I don't know where my map is now, but if you look in the, here it is. If you look in the map, on the map, our focus is on what is I don't know is that blue or purple? I guess it's blue at the bottom on the left side. You guys see that? The three circles. So that is Berea, Yitzira, and Asiya. So what? Are these what, what are these spaces, worlds, chambers, dimensions? What does that mean? The first thing we're going to do is read this in the Zohar. Zohar is the foundational work of Kabbalah, authored by uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai about 2,000 years ago. Text number four, Oded, if you don't mind reading, page number nine. God's glory includes Bria, and God bestowed this unto the human God's glory includes Yetzirah, and God bestowed this unto the human. God's glory includes Asiyah, and God bestowed this unto the human. Thus, the human is rendered in the image of the supernal glory. So let me just see, it's written very obscurely, but let me just try to make some sense of this. Number one, the first point of this text is to say that God's glory, in other words, in God's uh, creative spectrum, God produces and utilizes the three realms of Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiyah. That's point number one. Point number two is that God also uh, implements this into human beings. In other words, we have a little bit of Bria, a little bit of yitzira, and a little bit of Asiya inside of us. Okay, <clears throat> so what is Bria, what is yitzira? and what is Asiyah? So I'll give you a working definition. Bria means creation yetzira means formation and asiya means doing action these three terms all are found in the torah's account of creation bereshit bara elohim in the beginning god created bara it says adam sorry vayitzar hashem adam god formed man Mankind. So it says the word Yitzira. And it says also the word Asa, God made vis-a-vis creation. All three terms are found in the biblical account of creation. Bara, yatzar, Asa. Created, formed, and made. All three terms are used. The mystics recognize that these aren't three synonyms or parallel terms that, God, that, that the Torah is just, you know, Uh, cycling in and out to keep the prose, to keep the narrative exciting and not repeat the same word. These three terms, bara, yatsar, asa, create, form, and make, these three terms are precise and they refer to three stages of development. Now, before I explain, and the idea is to explain this very clearly, before I explain clearly, hopefully, what these three stages of development are, I want to just tell you that for ease of, of, uh, of communication. The mystics uh, uh, put these three worlds, these three realms, into an acronym that is important to learn. This is the next key term, key term 1.2 on page number 10. These three worlds of Bria, Yitzira, Asiya, creation, formation, action, the acronym is BIA. What, what's BIA? Bria, Yitzira, Asiya. The three the acronym of those three worlds spells the word, the Hebrew word, the acronym, Bia. So if you ever hear uh, you know, somebody who's a little familiar with Kabbalah speak about Bia, now you know what it is. It's the three lowest worlds. And also, I should mention, not so parenthetically, we exist in the lower half, the lower dimension of the world of Asiya, the world of action. Bria Yetzirah, asiya that's where we exist. Asiya has two dimensions, a spiritual and a physical. We are in the physical part of Asiya. And again, if you're, if you're a visual person, then just refer to this chart. Bria, creation, Yetzirah, formation, Asiya, action. This physical Asiya is where we are. So if this were a map in a, um, in a mall, there would be a red dot, and it would say, You are here. You, are here. you and I right here at the bottom. So we're focusing on this continuum. What is Bria? What is Yitzira? What is Asiya? I know, creation, formation, action. What is this? like? Actually, what, what does this mean? What, uh, let's understand this once again, utilizing our human lens and experience. To do that, we need to go all the way back and just question everything. Why did God create in the first place? Uh, Kabbalah explains how God created, but, but why? What's the purpose? So although we don't know all the details of this purpose, here's what we do know. That God wanted, we don't know why, but God wanted to have a relationship with an other. You see, here's the thing about relationships. It's very hard to have a relationship if you're the only one around. I know, I know, you can be in a relationship with yourself and self-care. That's all, it's very 2023. But a relationship, right, is with someone else. For example, if you're stranded on a desert island and there's no one around, not even a volleyball named Wilson. If there's no one around, right, even if you are Tom Hanks, was it Tom? Yeah, it was definitely Tom Hanks, right? What was that movie called? Castaway. Castaway. Huh? I know, I know. It's all part of the setup. Anyway, castaway. So, right, so, if there's nothing, not even a volleyball, you're having relationships. You're in a relationship. You're probably going out of your mind board, right? Probably. So, relationship. A relationship implies that there's you and another. And so, God creates. What's the one thing that happens when God creates? Suddenly, there's another, Mazel Tov. Now we can have a relationship. Do we know why God wanted a relationship? I don't know. Maybe he was lonely. I don't know. I didn't say that. I, who knows? It's all speculative, huh? You whisper it. Whisper what? Oh, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, so we don't know why. But here's what we do know. That God wished to create an other. A being that is not God. Bria, Yitsira, and Asiya are three stages in the development of other, of, a, of another consciousness. The best way that I can attempt to explain this is using the example of child development. Take a step back. As a parent, one of the most important gifts that you can give to your child is huh love true independence allowing them to grow up to be their own person it's weird because in the beginning first of all in the beginning we all start inside someone else right literally right talk about Right? Attached. We all start off attached. And then birth, mazeltov. We have now two entities. There was one, the mother. Now you have the mother and the child and the cord is cut. Great. Great. You know the joke, the Jewish joke, like um you asked the Jewish mother when is the when is a fetus viable? When it graduates medical school. Is usually the answer. Anyway, so when you whatever, so when you cut the cord, now you have two. Now you have another. But here's the thing: you don't really have another yet. I mean, physically you have another, but you know, a child. If you if you study a little bit of child development, a child at a very young age doesn't differentiate between itself and and its parent. A child is very much sees itself through that lens. If you ask a child, a young child, to even draw a self portrait. You'll notice that that the that differentiation isn't there. One of the greatest gifts that a parent can give a child is space to develop and to grow up to their own as their own person. One of my favorite books, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, one of my favorite books is The Giving Tree. Shell Silverstein. Have you guys read that? Seen it? It's got a great picture of Shell on the back. Uh, anyway. Picture, so Shel Silverstein, it's a green book. And it's about a tree and a boy. And they are in, in the beginning, oh, they are in love with each other. It's great. The tree is this very maternal, whatever, a very, um, you know, like a parent, parental figure to this boy, Watches the boy grow. And at a certain point, at a certain point, the boy asks the tree, says, hey, I need money. What does the tree say? You guys know this book? What does the tree say? Take Take my apples. What should the tree have said? Get a job. Get a job. Huh? Oh, as Donna says, money doesn't grow on trees. What is this? <laughs> hey, I'm just repeating it. I'll take it. That was mine. So the tree says, oh, you need money. Take my, take my apples. Sell them. Oh, you need a boat to escape? Failed relationship gone wrong? All right, cut down my branches. Right? You need, uh, cut me down to a stump. By the end of the book, the boy is very old and very sad. Look, at, look if you have it at home, or you, know, you can probably Google it. I'm sure there are PDFs online. The boy at the end is very sad. The tree is still calling this person a boy. And the last line of the book there's an old man, has nothing, sitting on the tree stump. And the last lines of the book is, and the tree was happy. You know who's not happy? This, is a cl- this book is a classic depiction of what psychology refers to as codependency. Codependency. Codependency is that I need you to need me. If you don't need me, then what do I do? That's what codependency is. Codependency is I need you to need me. Therefore, I will never give you the tools or the space to be your own person. Because if you're your own person, then what do I do? Right? God, forget God. I mean, don't, sorry. So back, we're still sticking with the human being. The goal, a healthy goal of parenting is to raise healthy independent children or human beings human beings that can stand up for themselves stand up for, know who they are have space grow into their own person you know empowered but not enabled etc in this process the child goes through multiple stages And by the way, everyone wonders like, what's what's the core of teenage angst? It's very simple. It's very simple. Here you have a human being who's trying to find their own identity in the house of their parents, supported by their parents. So it's pushing back against the parents, trying to chart, trying to stake their own spot in the earth, their own space in life, but knows that they can't, but really wants to. The parents have no idea like what's going on. We used to hug each other and go for walks, and I used to push you on the swing. What happened? Meanwhile, all this human being wants is, is a little bit of self identity, and it's all healthy, but it all but it's all messy, and that's the way it is. Which is why we send our kids off to yeshiva, let them deal with it. Out of time. Kidding. Is my is my mic on? <laughs> Anyway, what's the point of all this? The point is that that, um, life is a journey of gaining, for a child, gaining independence, gaining their own autonomy, their own selfhood. And that happens in stages. Back to Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya, because that's exactly how otherness is produced. Three stages. Bria is the birth of Other. It's like a child born. Now you had one, one plus. Now you have one plus two. You have now a second. You have two beings, mazel tov. That's Bria. Bria means creation. That's where otherness is born. But even as otherness is born, otherness doesn't view itself as the other yet. This otherness still identifies itself in the context of its source. Bria is still thinking about source, God. It doesn't see itself as independent. It doesn't see itself as separate. It sees itself as part of this divine reality. So Bria is still a spiritual realm in the sense that it doesn't view itself as separate. Yitzira, things are becoming a little bit more defined. There's a little bit more of a uh, um, self-identity, self-concept. A little bit more of a self-concept. That's really what it comes down to. Source-concept or self-concept. Bria has a source concept. It is a separate, it is bara, it was created, now it's God plus one, but its concept is source concept, not self-concept. In Yetzirah, the next stage down, there's a little bit more self-concept, but not fully, not self-awareness. Self-awareness, yeah. But it's, yeah, self-awareness, but also how you see yourself. Do I see myself as me or part of you? The child sees themselves as their own person or as the child of their parents. That's kind of the way this works. Hey, Mom. (laughs) Speaking of... So so that's second stage. Asiya stage three. What happens in the final stage? The final stage is where this this process is complete. Asiya means it's done. It's made. It's finished. That, in the context of this conversation, what it means is very simply, is that the self concept is enti- that the concept is entirely a self concept, self awareness, self identification. In the world of Asiya, we don't have to speak metaphorically or or mystically. We could speak very real. You and I see ourselves as individuals. It's sometimes very hard to feel or to recognize that we have a source. A person can live an entire lifetime and say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there's a source. That's how deep, that's how fixed the self-concept is. My concept is so self-oriented, I see myself as a being, I don't even know about God. I don't want to know about God. Who's God? Who says there's a God? That's what the reality looks like in our world of Asiyah. So in the world of Bria, step one, you have a plus one. You have something created, but its concept is source concept, not self-concept. In Yetzirah, second stage, this new thing, this new entity is beginning, starting to develop a self-concept. starting to But it's, not, it's, it's vacillating between self and source. I exist, I have my own space, but my own space is granted by God and so therefore it's attributed to the real source so it's not fully independent. Our reality, this world is fully independent in awareness. Not that it's not part of this continuum, not that it wasn't created from God. The child is the child of the parents, but in that third stage, this child is now an adult and sees themselves as an autonomous being does any of this make sense? Yes, does this make sense? Yeah. There's supposed to be a parallel to like the physical world and how like the earth formed, and then after don't you know, and then after, you know like the earth. You're saying like how things evolve. Yeah, there was could be. Yeah. How things may start aware uh-huh. of they go towards a One second ray. Yeah, you might you could you could kind of, you know, uh, on on a physical level draw parallels. Um Right. One thing is for sure that human beings have the greatest sense of autonomy, the greatest sense of self-conception and self-awareness. Um, and the more self-awareness one has, by definition, the less aware of, of source one is. It's just, it's just a matter of focus. Speaking with somebody earlier today, and they said it's interesting that you know sending a child off to college is, is a similar, you have this also, this, they have independence, but they still call you for money, right? They still like, hey, and so it's like this sense of independence, but they still are can't. And then they start supporting themselves or start earning, but they're not fully self supportive. So there's, again, life is this process of a person starting off very much attached and becoming their own person. That's what life is. And that process is very, Gradual, right? It's very gradual. Kabbalah speaks of this in three stages. Bria, Yitzhira, and Asiya. Not that it jumps from one to the other to the other. It's only three stages. It's gradual. It's progressive. There's a progression. But, but, we can identify three identifiable stages. The beginning, when you do have another, but it still identifies as part of the source. Second stage, where it now has... Both concepts, third stage, where pretty much it's its own thing. Okay. I, I feel. Oh, hey, Ray, you had a question. Yes? Uh, well, would that apply what you used to say? If I am I and you are you, then could you say that again? Yes. Yes. You guys ready? All right, here's, here's the line. This is from the Kutzker Rebbe, a uh, Hasidic master. He says, if I am I because you are you and you are you because I am I, then I am not I and you are not you. Yeah. If I am I because you are you, and you are you because I am I, then I am not I and you are not you. In other words, if I'm only this way because you're that way and you're that way because I'm this way, then no one's being authentic, right? However, if I am I because I am I and you are you because you are you, then I am I and you are you, and now we can have a relationship. And so, Ray, that's exactly on point. In other words, a relationship, A true relationship is not this dependency, but is where you have two individuals that have their own identity that then choose to relate. That's a relationship. That's a healthy relationship. Okay, now, um, any other questions, comments before we move further? Okay, good. So, so, uh, and just to share with you, yeah. And when you said that ultimately you know, God's desire was to have a, a, be in a relationship, yeah. I would say the other side of that is God's desire is for us to have a relationship with him. Yes. In other words, what God, thank you, and thank you for bringing it back around because that's a very important. What God wants is not a relationship with a program, with software, right? That's the movie Her. Her? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yes. That's, if you program an app, right, to send you a text every day at 10 o'clock a.m. to say, thinking about you, love you, hope your day is going well, and then you get that text, that's probably not gonna do much for you, right? But if you have, if not you have, if there is another human being who has their own mind, their own heart, their own reality, they choose to think about you in the middle of the day that's significant. God wants a relationship not with angels, not with souls, not with beings that don't have self-awareness. How hard was that? God wants, just to use modern terminology, God wants a consensual relationship. Consent implying free mind, autonomy, right? Could make any choice in the world and chooses God. That's significant. That's the relationship that God wants. So God says, let's create beings. Let's go all the way. Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. Let's go all the way. Now we're going to create individuals that could do anything. Will they choose this relationship? Do they care? If they do, that means something. If an angel above that only knows about God, doesn't have his self awareness, says, Kadosh, 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 God, you're holy, holy, holy. How significant is that? It's nice, I guess. It doesn't feel like anything. Right? There's, no, there's no... Good, thank you for bringing that back. Now, um, just some terms here. Then why do the angels say that? Because like... they sense it. It doesn't mean that God... Um, it doesn't mean that it does much for God. That's the angels expressing their love. That's fine. Why does he need them to say that? I don't know that he needs them. That's what I'm saying. I don't know that he needs it. It happens. <laughs> that's what they sense. That's how they feel. So they're expressing. They're saying, God, they can't get enough of God. So what's their... What's their Shkoyach, of course. Everything that God does, what's, what's their word? I don't know. I mean, uh, that, but that's going to pull us... I don't want to talk about angels right now. That's going to pull us right. a little too far to... Uh, now, some key terms. Page 10, Yeshus. This is very important. Or yeshut. Yeshut means... Sense of self-awareness. There is a Kabbalistic term for this idea of self-awareness, right? That is called Yeshus or yeshut. Um, next key term. We're skipping uh, 1.4. Um, okay, here we go. Text five. All right, text five. Um, Bobby, do you mind reading this one? Page number 12? There are three runs: Ria, Etzira, and Isiah. Baria is the first introduction of Yeshut, an independent subconcept. However, existence only develops into a complete Yesh when it reaches the third stage. The reason Yeshut develops gradually is because the initial stage of existence remains close to God and His presence is very much sensed at this level. Then Baria devolves into Yitsira, where the presence of God is somewhat concealed. Finally, zero devolves into aSIa, where God is completely concealed. At this point, existence becomes a true yesh and gains a complete sense of self-love. Thank you. So this is great parenting advice. How do you help your child gain their own autonomy and sense of self? Step away. Give them space. Because the more you're hovering, the more you do everything... They don't have space. So the more God withdraws, the more self-awareness. That's, there's what makes Bria Yitzir and I see what differentiates those three stages? What creates the self-awareness, what it just happens naturally? It's God pulling away. It's God kind of giving space. The more God pulls back, as it were, the more existence can step into its own self. So that's just a bit of an explanation about how that process works. Now, here's what I want to do for the next 10 minutes or so, eight, nine minutes. Here's what we're gonna do. All of this, yeah. Yeah, so God wants us to have a self-awareness and in that state of self-awareness, choose to be aware of and in a relationship with God. So it's by design, but, if you look at it on, on a hierarchical level, you would say that this is the lowest. This is the most distant. We are the most distant from God. Like, if you were an angel in the world, of, and angels, there's a, in your books, there's a section about souls and angels where they hang out. It's Bria and Yetzirah. That's kind of mainly where they hang out. So if you're a soul or an angel on those higher rungs and those higher realms, then you're all into God. That's, that's, that's what you're aware of. And one would say, well, that's way higher than our perception where we perceive self. But... On the flip side, there's an advantage that we have that the angels can't have: the bechira, the choice, the choice to be, the consent to be in a relationship. Angels can't consent. There's no other option. They don't know themselves. The, an angel would never say, "You know, I'm way too tired. Yeah, you know, I'm just not interested." But we can. When we opt in, it means something. So that's so we we are the lowest. We're at the bottom. But because of that, it makes everything else more significant, the stuff that we do spiritually. Now, let's, let's do the parallel, because this is really an important piece of, of the class. In each class, we're going to be doing this. And, and just to outline what we're going to do over the next six minutes. Right? I, I've mentioned this a few times, just so we're all clear here. The left side is the cosmic, macrocosmic depiction. The right side is... The human depiction, everything is paralleled, And so across from these three worlds, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya, you notice on the right side, it says thought, speech, and action. Now, what, what, what is that? What's going on? Let me just say this um, as clearly as, as I can. The, the notion of the three worlds that we spoke about we said are stages in self-development or development of self within creation. So that creation is not, does not see itself as an appendage of God, but rather its own, its own autonomous, for better or for worse, being. It's, sep- it's separation. It's the notion of separateness within our own spiritual physiology. That's not even a phrase. Within our own spiritual space we have a very similar dynamic. There's the soul itself, and then there are the layers that are separate from the soul that have their own identity. Just like Bria, Yitzir, and Asiya are all about imprinting self-definition and separateness upon creation, we also have our soul and a level that is separate from the soul. This is what Kabbalah refers to as the garments of the soul. There's the soul, the nefesh, and then there's the levushah nefesh, garments of the soul. I'm gonna give you a very quick uh, um, exercise that hopefully expresses this. So everyone say aloud, even if you don't want to, just just work with me here. Uh, repeat after me, two plus two equals five. Two plus two equals five. Okay, great, now do you understand that? Does it make sense? Right, is it logical? Do you agree with it? No, but you said it, and I know what you're thinking, because I told you to say it. But you have the ability to say things that you don't believe. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. You just did it. You literally said 2 plus 2 equals 5. You don't believe it. You don't understand it. You don't know it, but you said it. You know why? Because speech is not the soul, it's a garment, it's separate. It has its own identity. Speech is its own thing, speech is its own universe, it's autonomous. Right? It's got its own energy. Speech does not have to flow from how the soul feels or what the soul knows. Speech can do its own thing. Speech can say two plus two equals five. We can leverage, and this is true with thought, speech, and action. These are called garments of the soul because like clothing, they're not stuck to us. Take it off, you can switch it out for something else. Our actions are not stuck, our, our words are not stuck, and our thoughts are not stuck within ourselves. You can choose to express Whatever you wish to express. Let me say this very clearly. If you're having a bad day, you can still smile at the person walking by. Right? If you're anxious about what's going on in the world, you can still create a safe environment for your children. A safe, happy, joyous environment for your children. This is what I like to call spiritual or positive hypocrisy. Be a hypocrite. Right, no, this is how I feel. Take it easy with how you feel. Leave that up to the therapist to tell you that you have to express how you feel. But the mystics will say, you don't have to be so authentic. You can feel lousy and still show up kind. You can struggle with doing the right thing and still be courageous enough to step up and do the right thing. You can be uncertain about whether or not you want to support that worthy cause but you can still show up and support it because you know it's the right thing to do. There's a disconnect between soul and garments, and the beauty of thought, speech, and action is that you can defy what's going on on the inside. Your mind might be very confused and very and, and all over the place. You can decide. To 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 think about something else, you can switch that train of thought. You can decide to say to not say anything or to say something positive, kind, uplifting, meaningful, healthy, and building. You can do something to make the world a better place, even if you don't feel so excited about that. Jeff, it's funny. Um, Dennis Prager says we. I thought it was in the Bible or I something. Mean, what do I know? Dennis Prager says we have an obligation to smile. Right. and show it to the outside world. And you're right, the doctor thinks don't to know do they, they're there to be cured and for someone to show them so Right. when you go to a restaurant you know the wait staff ha- has to be happy and, and friendly. not because um, for the tip that helps, but it's certainly it's their obligation to because we have chosen to go out Right, And I think the point is very powerful. We have a choice. We have a choice. How we show up. And it's not, it doesn't have to be intertwined. In other words, this notion that God implants within the universe the ability to be independent, the ability to be separate, the the, the creation of separateness. There's God and then there's creation and God creates that separation and allows that separation to unfold also exists within us. There's our soul, which we'll talk about next week, the 10 powers of the soul. But then there are the garments of the soul. And although they're in proximity to each other, one doesn't have to directly flow from the other. So if you're feeling lousy, you can still smile. We have the ability. You all made a statement that wasn't true. We can all say things. And again, this is not for the negative. This is all for the positive. So that's lesson number one. Lesson number one you know the parallel of god creating separation is that we also can create separation in a positive way Two more very quick things just like just like we have within us thought, speech and action and god creates with three realms of bria yetzira and i see that's part of the continuum it's important that when it comes to hum- it comes to our decisions and our and our and our excuse me in our actions that we implement, that we activate all three parts, if we act, if we, without thinking or without consultation, those actions might be misguided. If all we're doing is speaking of ideas and not consulting and not implementing, it's also a waste. I mean, a waste, it's it's ideas. And if we're just consulting and not doing the other two, then again, it's a waste. the, The key is to integrate all three rhea, Yitzira, and Asiya. Thoughts, speech, and action. To have all three working together. The thoughts should be there. We should consider what it is that we need to do or want to do. Consult with speech. Consult, collaborate. Always, it's always good to check in with someone who's not you to get an objective perspective. And then, of course, implementation. You know, one of my favorite lines is, there were three frogs on a log. One decides to jump. How many are on the log? Three. Deciding to jump is not the same as jumping, right? You can think about jumping. You can plan to jump. yet yeah, you've decided I'm going to jump. Good. It's like the guy who hangs out with the IDF paratrooper. He's, he's training to be a paratrooper. Now they go up on the helicopter and everyone's jumping off. And they say, no, jump. He says no. he says, no. He says, jump. No. He says, what do you mean? You trained for this. He's I wanted to be around brave people. But I myself, I'm not. It's, some to action, you gotta consider action. Last point, last nakoda, and this is, I think is very powerful. And by the way, the stuff that we're doing now, they're all texts for all these things, you can look at it, you know, you can, at your leisure, you can, you can review these texts and find these ideas there from the sources. The last idea that I wanna share with you, which I do wanna read inside, and I'll read this one quickly, is text number 10. Text number 10 is very powerful, because it demonstrates, and this is how we're and we're gonna conclude the class with this, daily exercise. Um, within the con- concept of activating thought, speech, and action, it's very important to activate, to literally light up those three parts of our, uh, of our soul or those three garments of our soul first thing in the morning. So there are exercises that we can do really embedded within the Jewish, um, the Jewish ritual, of the mor- Jewish morning rituals. We have this activation of thought, speech, and action. And I'm going to read text 10. This is coming from the Code of Jewish Law. It says, as soon as we wake up, Text 10, page 30. As soon as we wake up, we should contemplate before whom we are lying and become aware that the king of kings is close at hand. As it is stated, the entire earth is filled with his glory. So as soon as we wake up, what's the first thing we do? Which part do we use? Thought, speech, or action? Contemplate, contemplate. Thought, thank you. Second paragraph. It is best to habituate ourselves immediately upon waking to recite... Moda'ani, I thank you, living and eternal king, for you have mercifully restored my soul within me. Great is your faithfulness. This will remind us of God's intimate presence and inspire us to rise energetically. So the next stage, after becoming aware of life, aware of our own thoughts and, 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 and gratitude in our minds, what's the next thing we do? We activate our speech. Third stage, seeing that the moda'ani does not include a divine name, we are permitted to recite it before ritually washing our hands, which means that after... We recite the modani after we verbalize the gratitude to God for giving us life. Once again, on this day, the next thing we do is we ritually wash our hands, which is activating action, thought, speech, and action embedded in the Jewish uh, structure of time of, of morning ritual. Is our three rituals to activate in turn our own Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya thought speech and action, the garments of the soul, in a holy space, that our minds should be filled with gratitude and acknowledgement of our Creator. Our words should be filled with the, the very same notion, and our actions should indicate that we are wa- washing away the taste of death that, that was bestowed upon us when we slept and when we were, un- in a sense, in an in a unconscious state to a certain degree, and now we're resuming uh, this day and resuming our, our mission to uh, to bring heaven down to earth and bring more light into this world, that is the the the, uh, the indication and the purpose of the hand washing. So, in summation, what we did today was we really addressed the question: what is Kabbalah, and what do the Kabbalistic texts speak about? And although it's this this one answer doesn't cover every single mystical text, most Kabbalistic texts somehow some way are dealing with the same issue or really dealing with the same topic, and that is describing. How you go, or how we went from spiritual energy to physical matter. How does that process work? How do, you, how do you go from God to us? What does that look like? And to that end, Kabbalah describes a very elaborate and intricate system. And that very system exists in parallel within us. So today we, we focus on the end of the system. We are created and we, we, are, we emerge as self as independent, self-aware, self-conscious creatures. Well, where does that come? That's Asiya. Where does that come from? Well, that comes from a stage prior to it. That's a little self-aware, a little source-aware, and before that, well, it's separate but part of, but totally source-aware. Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. Those are the three stages. We're at the end of that product. Therefore, we go through our lives and we just we not just, but we we see ourselves, we feel our needs. The parallel to this, the parallel of separation is the ability that we have to distance ourselves from how we feel and to choose to show up in a way that is positive, that is beautiful, that is meaningful, that is empowering, that is building, that is a blessing even if we feel a little crummy inside. That's the idea of separation that we have internally. We we are not a slave to our emotions. We can choose happiness we can choose positivity we can choose to be a light even if we feel the dark spaces within us that was lesson one lesson two is the idea of thinking consulting and acting to kind of uh, round out our experience and what we do and the third lesson or the third idea was that every morning we have the opportunity to align our thoughts words and actions uh, with purpose and with our with our creator and of course Coming full circle, that is a choice that we can make every day which grants significance to that experience. Thank you very much for joining me today for lesson, uh, for lesson one of the world of Kabbalah. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, you're very kind. I wanna share with you quickly next week. Next week, the topic is, hold on, the topic is the dawn of limitation. We're going to explore the 10 spherot. Remember that first image that we saw, the first um, artistic depiction with the circles aligned tree of life in the parts of. So we're gonna, next week, we're going to um, explore the 10 spheroth and the corresponding 10 powers of the soul. This will help us. Analyze. Ever take a personality test? Buzzfeed? I'm kidding. right? You ever take a personality test? Turns out they just want through your email address. But, 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 however, however, that's all marketing. But next week, we're going to do a bit of a Kabbalistic personality analysis using the teaching and the parallel of the mystical energies and the, and the human, the, the soul energies. Next week's class, we'll explore the DNA of the universe and the DNA of our soul. It's going to be incredible. I ask of you one thing. So first of all, okay, I have a list of things to ask. you. Number one, please give yourself the opportunity to read some of the texts that we did not read in class. There's incredible, You when you read the text, you'll be like, oh yeah, that's where that, came from, right? So you'll see a lot of the stuff that I that I mentioned outside, you'll see it inside in the sources, which is always helpful. Number one. Number two, there's also a section about souls and angels where they hang out, it's fascinating read. There's also additional readings. So there's a lot to read and enjoy between now and next week, that's number one. Number two, if you were trying out the course and you weren't sure if you wanna continue, I hope you enjoyed tonight, I hope you'll continue, but let me know because I need to know how many books to order for next week. Um, also, it would be uh, yeah. I think that's. I think I have a handle on how many books I need to, or otherwise. But if you just did a trial to check it out and you want to come back next week, please let me know because I, I I don't want to run out of books again. Because it's you know it's nicer to have a book. So that's that's that. Next announcement. Third announcement. This might be the final one. I'm not sure yet. We'll see. Third announcement is if you know of anybody who might enjoy this course. If you know of somebody who might enjoy this type of discussion. Share the information with them. Invite them to join or to check it out. It would be great to meet your friend or relative or somebody that you know that would, uh, that would appreciate this. Share the gift with someone else. Um, at the end of the day, these are gifts of knowledge. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for being part of the conversation. Laila Tov. Thank you.